while I'm not Fred, the gospel remains this morning from the sixth chapter of Mark. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done in his, by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, and to wear, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of our Lord. Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? Great. Uh, I am so happy to be here. Thank you to all of you for the invite and the hospitality. Uh, full disclosure, I was a little bit nervous when I found out that Mark 6 was our text today. Uh, because here we have Jesus returning at long last to the place he once called home. Uh, to the people who should love him the most dearly. Uh, and he found rejection. And he got driven out for that very reason. And I'm sitting here going, well... Uh, I'm back in the Twin Cities after years of being away. This is my first sermon coming off that move, so please be nice. <laughs> if it's Minnesota nice, that's cool. I'll take that too. <laughs> I do want to dig right in, though, because this is such a dense text. Really, all of our texts this morning that are paired together in the lectionary are so, so rich, and they offer us a lot to reflect on. They offer us a lot we could say or could think about. I'd like to hone in, though, and take a closer look at this idea of shaking off the dust that is on our feet. It, it seems particularly poignant today, no matter who you are, to understand what that really means, to shake the dust off of your feet. It reads like a kind of divine solution we're being given to deal with the things we're carrying. It's like a type of permission, and it comes from Jesus himself. If you are experiencing hardship, if you are in a place and that place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, on the surface level, this seems very clear, and I personally think that it's satisfying because it gives us some room and some legitimacy in saying this is too big. This is futile. I, I can't do this. 
I am out, I am shaking off the dust, and I'm moving forward. But in a world as complicated as ours, things can't be that simple, right? It seems to me that there's too much at stake for us to be able to assume a shake-off-the-dust attitude or posture. I don't want to give the news cycle any more power than it already has over us by delving into examples and details, but I think that it's fair to say on this day, this morning, in this place, any number of us feel like we've had our fill of contempt. Our psalmist in Psalm 123 this morning describes it just that way. Have mercy on us, Lord, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Some of us are sitting here scared. Some of us are sitting here confused. Some of us are mourning. Some of us are frozen because we don't know what to do or what to think about any given thing. Some of us aren't sure anymore where we stand on issues or with people or where other people stand, for that matter. Some of us are tired, overworked, and a lot of us feel unheard. And yet, here's Jesus saying, shake off the dust, to his disciples, to his closest, saying, shake off the dust. So I suppose what I'm trying to ask here is, how are we supposed to approach this idea today? What does it really mean? What does it really look like to shake the dust off our feet as we profess Christianity and live into a Christian identity? I think that our scripture gives us a combination of proclamation and a charge this morning, a combination of ideas and practical application. I think that we can frame this giant impossible question by boiling the Mark 6 story down to three key components. The feet, the dust, and the shake. We start with the feet because we need something to stand on. Convenient. We need some pre-existing convictions of what it means to be Christian at all. What it means to be Christian in the first place. What defines us, even in the most abstract ways? And how can we explain or understand our essence in the world? These stories this morning, especially our gospel story, tells us that if you want to know what someone is about, you need to determine where they came from and who they represent. Credibility and even character comes out of relationship. In our Old Testament reading for today from 2 Samuel, the tribes of Israel say to David, look, we are your bone and flesh. That's all the proof they need, that they have credibility and they deserve to be in that space. Look, we are your bone and flesh. Paul's 2 Corinthians account for today gains traction because he's telling a story of a friend who has firsthand seen paradise. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' wisdom, power, and honor are tied directly to names. His mother, his father, his siblings, the people he knew growing up. The disciples' authority and healing powers are tied to a name too, and that name is Jesus's. Credibility and character come out of relationship. Our feet are planted, at least in part, in where we came from. 
We are Christ's bone and flesh. That's our credibility and that's our character. God creates us in a divine image from the beginning. God names us in the waters of baptism and God claims us on the table at the Last Supper. Chapter 8 of Paul's letter to the Romans tells us, point blank, that we have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God loves us truly, deeply, and ceaselessly. God loves us as family. Our feet are planted in God's love, and they carry us into the world to amplify that love. When the disciples go out on their feet in this story, calling for repentance, they're not acting out of accusation or punishment. They aren't condemning their neighbors for the sake of condemnation. They're trying to draw attention to God's love and to assure their neighbors that God's love is for everyone. They love, they witness, and they heal. And to this day, we as Christians are called to do the same. And that brings us to dust. Because shaking off the dust on our feet means that we need to do the work of building up the dust in the first place. You can't shake off something that isn't there, and you can't experience release until you've experienced engagement. So let's talk about this loving, this act of witness, because it ties our whole story together. Witness is not an easy thing to do. Without even trying, I tone down the intensity of witness in this gospel story every time I read it. Because I'm used to church spaces. I'm used to Christian communities. I work at Luther Seminary. I'm used to a Christian career. I'm used to a Christianized country. I take witness for granted. I don't think of Christian witness as something particularly scandalous. I might anticipate some eye rolling from time to time or some doubt in my responses that I get to my witness, and that's mildly uncomfortable. But if I'm being honest, I read Jesus' teaching and the disciples' mission in Mark 6 as pretty tame. They just have to go share things about Jesus. It's pretty calm. I diminish witness by equating it to the suggestion of an idea. But witness is not an idea. Not today and definitely not in the ancient Near East. When we witness, we get our hands dirty, we get dusty. We make ourselves vulnerable because we take things out of the abstract and make them personal. We don't talk about God and Jesus. We talk about God and Jesus in our lives. When we witness, our feet take us intentionally into uncharted territory. When we witness, we make claims that are too good to be true and too impossible to believe. A God who created the entire cosmos knows me and loves me personally. That's not easy to believe. A God who created the entire cosmos says that there's nothing I could do to make that God stop loving me. That's hard to believe. When we witness, we use our whole selves and we invite others to join us. It's a visceral process. 
Our passages from Mark this morning show just how urgent the gospel promise is and how deeply witness can disrupt day-to-day life. Take Jesus' witness to the Sabbath crowd in Nazareth. These people should be the first to stand by him and to believe what he's teaching, to follow him. Not only would we expect that they'd love him out of some familial obligation, but we also know that Jesus earns their belief. He earns their allegiance. This is no ordinary man. Just a few verses before our story, Jesus is working a very public ministry of miracles. The hem of his garment alone heals a woman who has been chronically ill for 12 years. And a simple imperative he utters, little girl, get up, brings a child back from the dead. Jesus has a witness to bring. Jesus has all but proven a new truth to the crowds in Nazareth, and they still don't believe him. Think about the witness of Jesus' disciples, too. Now, I can barely make it 10 minutes without my cell phone, even if it's in the other room, which is problematic, and it's another sermon for another day. But I read this story about the disciples giving up everything. Imagine that. Imagine having nothing nothing to identify you or to connect you with the outside world except for a message of love and a companion who also has nothing but a message of love. Your well-being depends on the decisions of complete strangers who have no reason to like you or to listen to you. That's high stakes. That's true trust in the message that you're bringing. Paul's witness in 2 Corinthians is that way too. He says, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me and to keep me from being too elated. Now, this passage isn't about Paul's false modesty, and it's not about senseless suffering ordered by God. It's about the fact that Paul's authority as a Christian, Paul's very Christian-ness, is wrapped up in tension, in dusty things. Conflict for Paul is natural. Conflict for Paul builds strength. Conflict helps Christians grow. We need to be able to trust our feet and to know that it's okay if they start to look a little dusty because that's what they're for in our charge from God. Encounter with our neighbors constantly, no matter how murky it looks. But that brings us to the shake. Because I think we all know that there are some situations, some conflicts that don't give us strength. They don't give us life. They're too much and nothing can be done there. Even Jesus couldn't heal everybody that day in Nazareth. But when the Sabbath crowd did reject him, he performed miracles anyway. He lays hands on sick people and cures them. Even if they are not welcome in a place, the disciples keep moving too, proclaiming that all should repent, casting out demons, and anointing the sick with oil. Our permission to shake off the dust on our feet is not permission to abdicate responsibility or to witness part-time, contingent on how well we think our ideas will be received or a cost-benefit analysis of the effort. Permission to shake off dust is permission to be realistic about boundaries so that we can continue to witness all the time. While the scale, the scope, and the direction of our witness might change from season to season, our witness, our message itself, does not. 
God encourages the prophet Ezekiel by saying to him, whether the people around you hear you or refuse to hear, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. As Christians, we don't measure the quality of our work based on the results. We don't identify as Christian for the sake of apologetics. We don't go into our communities to push an agenda, to sway souls, to change minds. That would be witnessing to the potential for change. We go into our communities and we witness because we are the people who know that change has already happened and that it can continue to happen again and again and again. Friends, our good news this morning is that our God has claimed each and every one of us as children. That gives us credibility, that gives us character, that gives us power, and it gives us feet to stand on. Our good news this morning is that our God sustains us and protects us when we take risks getting dusty, when we take risks in our witness. And our good news this morning is that our God never lets consequences or results determine what makes our work miraculous. We have read and heard and sometimes even said that through God, all things are possible. And it's true. Even if you need to shake the dust off from time to time, all things are possible. So I'll end with the words of Psalm 48, a good collective prayer and charge for us today. Walk about Zion, go all around it. Count its towers, consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels that you may tell this generation and the next that this is God, our God, forever and ever. Amen.